So, Christmas, the rest of the story. You notice I'm kind of doing this backwards uh, because we're going to land on Christmas Day as we celebrate the birth of Christ. But in doing so, we're going to look at the other components that surround Christmas, at least for most of us. And I do hope if you've not made this a tradition in your family to read the Christmas story on Christmas Day, let me encourage you to do that. Christmas Eve, whenever you have your family gathering, and let that be a special part of doing that. So last summer, I ran into a book by Rick Renner. You guys know he's one of my, he's become one of my favorite authors and speakers. And it was about Christmas, the rest of the story. So I ordered the book and started reading. I thought, oh my goodness, there's so much about Christmas. I've been at this a while. And there's so much about Christmas, I just didn't know. And so it's been just a great journey for me to study that and to get to know more things about Christ and his birth and all that surrounded it. And I, and I knew a lot. I really did. I've been blessed. But there's still so much that I didn't know. And so when we get to Herod and the Magi, good versus evil, because here's the Magi. These guys are amazing. I want to call about talking about the good guys. These are the good guys, and their history goes back generations. It's not like just the three guys who popped up. Because, by the way, in case you didn't know, nobody knows how many there were. More than likely, more than three. So, how did all of us come to the conclusion there were three wise men on Christmas Day? Three gifts. That's right. And guess what? There's no conclusive evidence that that's the case. In fact, there's a lot of historical evidence that says that was absolutely not the case. But we've accustomed to that and grown accustomed to it. And we've done Christmas plays for decades. And we always include the three wise men, right? Because it gives three other kids something to do is what it is. You know, they get tired of being sheeps and donkeys and all that stuff. But Herod, this guy... Man, we're going to get into more detail of who he was and who they are or who they were, but it is incredible how this works out. So let's do this. I want to walk us through the scripture. I'm going to try and not hang out too much. I want to come to the end and then ask some legitimate questions that come from the story. So now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? Now, give you a little bit about Herod. He was an absolute paranoid ruler. And he was always afraid that somebody was going to dethrone him and become king. He had manipulated his way into that spot. If you go back and study the history. And he wasn't giving it up for nobody. Again, history says that he killed his father-in-law, his wife, and his sons. To keep them from taking the throne from him. He was a paranoid guy. And when the Magi showed up and they said, where's the king, the real king? You can imagine 
how that set him off. Or maybe you can't, but we're going to see. For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem, 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 with him. Now think about that. Back to what I was just saying. He gets upset, which is okay. We get upset. People get upset. But it says when he got upset, everybody got upset. You know why? Because they knew him and they knew his history. And their belief was heads were going to roll because that had been his history up until then. Nobody was going to take his throne. And so for these wise men, this magi, to come from the east as they did, he was not having it. Watch how this unfolds in the scripture. So he gathered together all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them, where was the Messiah, where the Messiah was to be born? Now they had to go pull their books out. And they came to this conclusion, having pulled the books out and studied the prophetic history. In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. Now I got to tell you, for years I had this question and sadly I didn't take the time to research it. But my question was always this, how did those guys get caught by surprise when it was their job to study the history and the prophecy for the nation. How was it that when the Magi showed up and they get asked by the king, they had to go pull the records, as it were, to find out? Again, understand, some of what I'm giving to you is based on church history and history at large. And one historical writer said, the reason these guys got surprised was because over time, Herod had slowly replaced the legitimate scribes and Pharisees with his own people so he could control and dominate and have those who would only say yes. Again, historical evidence for that. Nothing here in the scripture, but it does, for, at least for me, answer that question. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will be shepherd, my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. I want you to notice a word in this scripture, the word child. You see that word? Another misconception that we have (laughs) promoted in our Christmas story is that the Magi was there when the shepherds were there. It doesn't say, go for the baby. It says, go see the child. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until they came and stood over the place where the child was. 
when they saw the star. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. After coming into the house, not the, yeah, it wasn't the stable, coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary his mother, and again, the, the original language implies that he was literally standing by his mother. And here's, if you don't get anything else today, I don't, I wouldn't say I don't care because I do. And they fell to the ground and worshiped him. They fell to the ground and they worshiped him. Remember the little video we just had a while ago? Nothing replaces Jesus. Isn't it rather sad, however, that we have replaced him with just about anything and everything? And the Christmas season, whether you celebrate it in December or July, is about those who had wisdom knowing that this was the one who was to be worshipped. This was the one. This was the one to be worshipped. And then they opened their treasures, presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Again, that's where we got the three guys because of three gifts. Not necessarily historically accurate. accurate. So, that's the story that I've read. Now, this is the Matthew version because the Matthew version is the only one that includes the Magi. And then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged. He was ticked. All right, confession time. How many of you in here have ever been ticked? Raise your hand. Okay, you've been ticked. I appreciate the honesty. (laughs) Yeah, now repent. (laughs) But now watch this. He became so enraged, he sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all this vicinity those who were two years and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Can you imagine a person who is so paranoid about their position that they would order their soldiers to barbarically go and kill every male child in a city and the surrounding area. Can you imagine that? That someone would be that selfish. I tend not to go too political too quickly, but we just saw the overturn of Roe versus Wade. We as a nation have been doing what Herod did for decades. There's a price. I'm sorry for that. 
a two-year period. These guys have been following the star for at least two years to get to the place where they could worship Jesus Christ, the king. So then what had been spoken through Jeremiah, the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Again, I I guess this is a little barbaric for me if we can just somehow imagine what it was like to have lived in Bethlehem when those Roman soldiers came and with their swords went through town pulling out all the male children under two and literally just taking their life in front of their parents and their siblings and their community. Would there be wailing? Yeah. You better believe it. Because you have to understand their culture, the male child was the one who carried it forward. No offense, ladies, but it was a different day. So this was horrid for this to happen. So who was this Herod the Great? By the way, it wasn't just because he himself titled himself Herod the Great. He was an amazing leader. He was a politician, bar none. Again, he got into his position by manipulating the political system of Rome. He was a ruler, a great ruler. Man, he knew how to get things done. The problem being a ruler like Herod, you get things done, but you have a high body count because you consume the people who are accomplishing the task. He was an architect. Man, he designed stuff. He was a builder. He built cities. He built fortresses. It was amazing what Herod was able to do. He was not minimizing his position of domination and ruling. But he was also a tyrant. And he was infamous for his outburst of anger. That's why the whole city got troubled when he got troubled. So Herod was Herod the Great because of the good and because of the bad. And because of the killing of the innocent children, that's why I labeled him in my message title today, The Bad. So here's this man who has this position of power and authority, and he uses it to absolutely devastate the nation that he is given responsibility for by the Roman government to manage. That's who he was. But who was the Magi? As I said, their lineage, based on history, went back for generations. And these guys were amazing because they were scientists, 
of their day. They understood the stars and the constellations. They studied them. They were men of science. And as they would understand what the constellation and the arrangement of the constellations would mean, they literally, as in this case, would take a journey that took over two years to accomplish. They were considered intelligent. They were considered incredibly amazing in their wisdom, intelligence and wisdom. And these guys had grown in such popularity over these generations that they were considered very powerful people. And they were also very, very, very wealthy. Now, there's a word. I want to go back to Matthew 2, 1. That's left out of the translations that I have. I went back to the Greek. It was there. Verse 1, Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the Magi came. Now, why is that important? Well, the word behold means awe. As these men roll into town, they weren't, they weren't just passing by and happen to say, oh, there's Jerusalem, let's go make a visit. You know, they weren't just tourists. They were intent on carrying out the purpose that they had realized and come to understand from their interpretation of the consolation. And by the way, in case you don't know, the reason the behold, I think, is important that the whole city, including Herod, was in awe and bewildered by their arrival. This wasn't three guys on camels. This was a whole entourage as these men would travel. It wasn't uncommon for them to travel with actual armies because they carried with them so much wealth that they had to have their own defense. And so when they came into town, it was noticed by everybody. And here's the thing you need to know. They were so important that the king, Herod the Great, called for them to come and meet with him. In case you don't know, everybody arriving in Jerusalem did not get to go see the king. And then it says, even in his private quarters... You're talking about being a select group of people. This was the select group of people. And Herod is in such awe, but at the same time bewildered, at the same time mad, because these guys know something he doesn't know. And look what they have invested to get to where they are to be there in front of him. And they weren't coming for him. (laughs) They were coming for him. They weren't coming for Herod. They were coming for the king that was revealed in the stars. These guys were such amazing, amazing people. They were very religious. They were considered priests. One historian said these were well nigh unto kings. 
That's how amazing they were. So they roll into town. All this gets stirred up. And then they get their orders to go and take their treasures to the king they seek. Not Herod. In fact, there's no record they did anything to recognize Herod for who he was. Other than to give him the information that he requested. So here they go. And all the pain and all the trouble, all this about Jesus was so upsetting that everybody was upset. And then there's the question, what was the value of their gift? So again, go back to history. Find out that when kings were being recognized, rulers, deities almost in some cases were being recognized, and the treasures brought to them would be incredible. And so when in our Christmas plays over the years, when we took those uh, shoe boxes and cigar boxes and made, you know, dressed them up, put some glittery paint on them, and we used those for our play to say, this is what the Magi would have brought. And that ain't what they brought. When it says gold and frankincense and myrrh, one, you have to understand that they didn't just have a little, oh, here's your little trinket, Jesus, of gold. No, it was going to be huge amounts of gold. And frankincense and myrrh, not normal in our day, but in that day, they were sometimes more valuable than silver or gold. And so they brought all this to Jesus. But again, my favorite part of this story is when they bring all this to him. And in verse 11, they come to the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures. What was their greatest gift that day? Worship. Recognizing and honoring Jesus for who he was. But all this happened as the prophets foretold that this would take place. And here we are on this side where we get to read those things and realize how God had all this planned out, all this mapped out. So when we look at the value of the gift of the Magi, which was astronomical, you have to ask yourself a question. Where did it go? If they brought such treasure and such wealth, where did it all go? Well, notice then, if you continue to read the story, I don't have that up for you today, but being warned... In a dream, Joseph knew to take his family to Egypt. And then they traveled for some time, avoiding the possibility of the child being killed. So again, I'm going to have to go to history. Best I got. 
that God had placed someone in that family who had become the caretaker for their wealth. And as they traveled and avoided persecution and even death, they were able to fund their travel from the treasures given by the Magi. Now, that may not ring a bell with you, but it works for me. And so then you look at the life and ministry of Christ. Yes, did he work with his father? Yes, was his uh, father a very skilled craftsman? Of course he was, based on what we know from Scripture. But is it possible that the funding for this family and for the ministry of Jesus Christ actually was given to him and to them at his birth when the Magi showed up? with their incredible wealth and gifts. See, we even have this misunderstanding as we read the Christmas story that the reason that Joseph and Mary and then Jesus was born in the stable was because they were poor. And even the scripture does support that. It just simply says there was no room for them in the end. It wasn't because they didn't have money for the end. There was no room for them. So God provided for his son and for the earthly family that he had chosen for his son to be provided for through the gift of these incredible, incredible magi. All that aside... Whether you accept the historical items that are presented or not, here are two things we can absolutely, absolutely settle on today. These men, these wise, wise men, these men who understood things that seemingly no one else in their world at that time could understand, these men had two purposes. One, to find Jesus. Think about that. They traveled. It cost. They had a huge entourage of people, a caravan, if you, if you will. It was costly in time and effort and money. They're willing to expend whatever it was to find Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Do we, on our endeavor to find Jesus, expend effort, energy, and money? Or to be honest, is it just really more about us? But that was their first purpose. And they accomplished that purpose. They came to the house where Jesus was. The star was there. They were in great joy because of it. They went in the house and they fell on their face. So the second purpose for them was what? To worship him. To worship him. How are we doing? Are we worshiping him? 
We had, I thought, precious music this morning. I love the musical time of worship in our service. I really do. And I'm not a musician. My worship tends to be a little different. My worship, and and each one has to find who they are. I love music. I enjoy music. But that's not my real, my real worship is words. And sometimes my real worship is just enjoying the creation of God. I, I can be outside working in the yard, and it's not like I live in some palatial palace with great gardens. I just am outside enjoying the nature that God's created, and sometimes I'll just have to stop and praise God and worship Him for who He is and what He's created. But I'm a word person. He made me that way, and I know that, and I praise Him for it. And so something, and I've mentioned this over and over, and you guys know that sometimes I sadly become redundant on purpose for you like it or not. But I'll take those last six chapters of Psalms because David, as he learned and grew and fell and rose up again in his lifetime, when it comes to the end of Psalms, he only has praise and worship for his God. Matthew, let's get Matthew, Psalms 145. Through 150. And so, typically during every day, and I've learned to listen to these now. I've read them for years and years, and now I listen to them because it just gives me a chance to to just set and receive it into my spirit. So you figure out how God made you, and you learn to worship God. These men fell on their face. These were mighty men. You didn't see them going in and bending a knee to Herod, did you? When they see this young child, they fell on their face in worship and adoration and honor of who he was. We have become so callous and careless toward Jesus that our worship has suffered terribly. This morning in my worship time, as I'm listening to the scripture, the last chapters of Psalms, you know what I found myself doing? I found myself thinking about problems that I'm facing, people that need to be ministered to. And I just had to stop and ask God's forgiveness. I'd love to tell you that's the only time this ever happened. But sadly, it happens happens repeatedly. And God has to bring me back in. Say, wait a minute, why are you here? Is it about me or is it about you? So when Sheila and I were having our prayer time later, I confessed to her because she's my prayer partner. And of course, her response as my loving wife was, well, you know, that's what you've told me to do all these years. Anyway, you know, don't let that stuff take you away from your worship. Don't let those things or those people draw you away from what it really means to spend time and honor him. That's because she loves me and she knows me. So as we're in this Christmas season, how's your worship? Is your worship about lights and glitter and presents? Or is it truly the worship of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Is it truly worship 
of the one who gave his life. And that's why we even have life. Is your worship of him, for him. Guess who gets to answer that question? I answer for me, and you answer for you. Wouldn't it be incredible that in this Christmas season for us, as a church family, that we could know that this has become a time with all the activities, and so many of them are so incredibly wonderful. But we would absolutely know in our heart of hearts the greatest reason for us for this season is Him. Would you stand with me, please? Father, I pray that um, if there's a person here that does not know you in a personal way through your son, Jesus, that in this season that we're in, that they would be seeking you, wanting to know what's real and what isn't real, what's important and what isn't important, what's eternal and what's temporal. Holy Spirit of God, Touch every heart. Let every heart yield and surrender to you. Every person who's never received the greatest gift of all, your son. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping birth each one as they receive that gift into your kingdom. And for those of us who know you, Let us worship you. Let us worship you. Holy Spirit, break our hearts. Bring conviction, true conviction, which leads us to repentance in our worship. so grateful God we're so grateful your love expressed as you came and lived among us as you willingly gave your life for ours and you willingly took our sin on you for our salvation I don't know what you have to do, Father, in my life and the life of those who are here and others that are part of this family. But thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for bringing a revived worship that based on your word is truly done in spirit and in truth. And let us be the place. Let this be the place. Let our lives be the place. Where worship is done. To please you. To honor you. And to bless you. Jesus, we offer this prayer in your precious, precious name. Amen.